Charging. Hello. I pronounced that right, right? Yeah, okay. everyone says that, okay. don't they? Yeah. They're scared to get it wrong. Why? <laughs> yeah. I don't mind. Somebody introduced me on stage the other night, uh, Shaver Minzad. <laughs> Did they really? Honestly, I thought it was hilarious. I mean, the audience were laughing already. I think they thought it was a joke. Well, obviously, he'd got it wrong. He was a really, like, posh bloke as well. So he was obviously trying really hard to get it right. And it went really badly wrong. So he went from Shazia Mirza to Shaver Minzad. But also, it sounds like... <laughs> Like it sounds a... awful. <laughs> yeah. It sounds really something rude and crude, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> I'm briefly interrupting to let you know that I'm Marsha from yesyesmarsha.com and this is from a series of interviews that I did from 2009 to 2011 called Marsha Meets, which were long-form interviews with stand-up comedians that eventually inspired the book off the mic, the world's best stand-up comedians get serious about comedy. That book's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. Back to the interview. So you've just been to Pakistan yeah. last week. Were you doing a gig there? Yeah. You've been there before though, right? Well, I have been to Pakistan. My parents are from Pakistan, but um, I went there two years ago and I did stand-up in Lahore. I never did it in Karachi. And this time I went, I went and I did Lahore and Karachi. And how was it? Well, it was, um, it is dangerous. It is dangerous there. I had difficulties getting into the country in the first place. I have a British passport and they thought that, you know, because I'm brown, that I, they would just let me in. And the thing is, they didn't let me in. I was at Lahore Customs for six hours. Oh, my God. They said to me, where are you from? Are you Pakistani? And I said, yes, because my parents are Pakistani. And then um, they said, oh, so where were you born? I said, England. And they said, well, that makes you a foreigner. I thought, I get called a foreigner in England. I get called a foreigner in Pakistan. Where are So once you eventually got in, what were yeah. the gigs like? What were the audience well, the, like? Uh, the first one was in Lahore. Which Lahore is quite civilised. And the audience were lecturers and um, students at the university. But they still are worried about having entertainment there. So they were like, you know, don't... The last time I was there, they said, you know, you can talk about what you like. You can talk about drugs. You can talk about alcohol, having a good time. Just don't mention the sex. <laughs> this was like their phrases, like, don't mention the sex. It's like, they're so repressed sexually. Like, nobody talks about it. Yeah, everybody's trying to do it. Or everyone's trying to somehow do something sexual. And they said, you know, don't mention anything about sex. It's it's really, we don't talk about it. But then I went on stage and, and I did mention it. And those were the bits that they loved the most. The filthier, the better. And actually, before I was going on, people came to my dressing room and they said, oh, can you do jokes on religion and sex? Because those are the things that they're not allowed to laugh at. So they were desperate to laugh at it. And then the other thing was, they said, don't mention... Um, the president, don't make any jokes about the president because there's a law where you can't make jokes about the president. Seriously? You can't even text these jokes to your friends. If you get caught texting these jokes to your friends, you get put in prison. No. So, of course, if you tell a comedian not to do something, they want to do it. And did you? Yes. (laughs) And they loved it. And so you didn't get put in prison? No. Well, the thing is, I went to Karachi afterwards and I did have to have two armed bodyguards outside my bedroom. Did you seriously? Yeah. Oh I my was goodness. really annoyed because actually I wanted them inside my bedroom, not outside. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, they did. They, wow. I had to sleep with them outside my room. Wow. Which is so ridiculous because I'm only a comedian. I mean, there were armed guards at the gig. 
they were really worried. I mean, when I turned up, they went, don't worry, we've stepped up security, which worries me. You tell them we've stepped up security before you're going on stage. It's really worrying. Well, it's a predominantly Muslim country, isn't it? It is. The thing is, they're not religious. A lot of the people in Pakistan are not religious. Oh, really? Uh, I did a gig in Karachi where they locked the doors. After the audience had come in, they'd locked the doors. They had armed security outside. And they had given me a bodyguard to take me back to the hotel. (laughs) It's stupid, isn't it? Did really? you feel a bit like an international spy or oh, something? Well, the weird thing was, when I was at customs, when I tried to get into Pakistan, they looked at my passport and I had loads of US visas because I mainly do stuff in America. And they said, um, are you a spy? And I said, no, I'm a stand-up comedian. And they said, what does that mean? And I said, oh, well, I tell jokes. And they said, will you be doing that here? And I said, yes. And then they said, oh, are you the entertainment for the Taliban? <laughs> So obviously, the Taliban is getting its entertainment, but the people of Pakistan are not. (laughs) That's amazing. So I never knew, actually, that the Taliban were getting entertainment, but I said, it's not me. And then the the thing is, they were worried in Karachi because the Taliban are infiltrating the outskirts of Karachi and they would, it would be terrible if they found out that I was performing there. So it was all kept secret. The thing is, the people are not that religious there. Right. Because after the gig, you know, they were offering me marijuana and uh, hookers, male hookers. Really? Yeah. They said, you know, if you want a Russian hooker for the night, we can get that for you. And it was really, I thought, you know, I couldn't say, like, I couldn't say the word gay on stage, but I could get uh, marijuana and Russian hookers after the show. Right. Wow. But I guess that's kind of um, happens a lot, doesn't it? That the face of it, it's all with so respect. They're so repressed. They're not allowed to do anything. They're not allowed to do anything, so they're desperate. They're literally dying to laugh. But you've had... um, The reason I ask about how it went down and whether they freaked out is because you've had loads of trouble here. I've had emails and hate mail. Oh, have you? Yeah, but I I know loads of comedians that have had hate mail and really bad emails. I think that's a sign that you're doing well. Well, nobody bothers to email you anymore. I think that you're not doing very well. Really? (laughs) As a comedian, if people are getting really annoyed with you, I think it means that... At least you're getting a reaction. When you first... Did you get stuff as soon as you first started out, though? No, but, but not long after. Right. When uh, did you first start? What in was... 2001. Do you remember your first ever gig? Yeah, it was in Brixton. And it wasn't a proper gig. Like, there was no microphone and there was no seats. And there was just an audience standing in a room. Oh, my God. In a dark room. It's like doing it in my living room to my parents. It was really weird. And how did it go? And it went really well. Did it? Yeah. It was really weird because I just stood there and I just sort of said the jokes that I'd written. But there was no microphone and there was... It was really weird, you know? It went well, though. And so did it make you think, this is Oh, I can do this, yeah. But then you don't realise it's downhill after that for a long time before you have to to get good. You were a teacher, though, before at the time? I was, yeah. I was a teacher in the East End in Tower Hamlets. In a rough school? Really rough. But it was good because, actually, I think that's how I became a comedian, was entertaining the kids every day. Like, in my class, I had Dizzy Rascal. Dizzy Rascal was in my class, and I saw him the other night. And he said, was I really that bad? I said, you were awful. You were really was terrible. He? Oh, my God. He said, OK, like, what, what kind of things did I do, man? Miss, he still calls me Miss, which is really bad. Because <laughs> I meet him in public. I Miss! It's really weird because he's grown up now. But he used to do things like kick my lab door down because he used to get kicked out of all the lessons. But he really loved music. You know, if he got kicked out of a lesson, he would go to the music room And the music teacher would let him sit in the corner and he'd play music. He loved music. I don't think he ever imagined he would be what he is now, but he did love it. And 
a lot of the kids, a lot of his friends, you know, they were just so naughty and they were so bad. They used to leave my lesson through the lab window. Really? Yeah, in the middle of the lesson. Oh um, they used to cause fires and they were so bad. And the thing was, I had to try... They weren't interested in science. Mind you, neither was I. OK, so I didn't want to be there, neither did they. And so I had to try and keep them entertained for an hour. You know, trying to keep 16-year-old boys entertained for an hour, trying to teach them science, that is harder than stand-up comedy. I've never had... Like, they used to say to me things like, God, miss, you're so boring. Oh, miss, you're rubbish. Why don't you just give up? Now, when I'm doing a gig, nobody has ever stood up and gone, God, you're so boring. God, you're so rubbish. Why don't you just give up? Nobody has ever stood up in the middle of my gig and done that. And I used to have that every day from them. So, so I think that was the best training. And so if you didn't like it, how come you were doing it? Well, I did it because my parents wanted me to be a doctor, obviously, because there aren't enough Asian doctors in Britain. They wanted me to be a doctor, marry a doctor, have some little doctors, you know. <laughs> you know, I think it's so they'd get free healthcare when they're old, you know, something like that. And it's not, I never wanted to do it. I wasn't interested in it. And so that was the nearest thing to like, I did a degree in biochemistry and then I did this and I just thought, well, I'll be a teacher. Then I realised I just can't do this for the rest of my life. Had you thought, I want to be a comedian, and that was no, why you've done the No, I think it was an accident. Because I did this, I learned to write jokes and stuff. And I went on this course where like everybody else was on it, like Jimmy Carr was on it, and Shappy was on it, and everyone was doing this course, which was like a really famous course at the City Lit, where the teacher, Jill Edwards, taught you about comedy. And we didn't know this when you entered the course, is that actually part of it was that you had to perform what you'd written. So I didn't know this. I was just interested in comedy. So she made us write really personal things about ourselves, which we thought we would just keep to ourselves. We didn't realise that at the end of the class, we would have to read this really personal stuff out to everyone. And she made us write really personal things, things that we hated about our bodies and stuff. So I wrote this thing about how I hated having a moustache and how I'd tried everything to get rid of my moustache and I'd bleached it and I'd plucked it and all these really personal things about my face and my beard and everything. And then at the end of the class, I had to read this out and everybody was really laughing. And I was thinking, oh my God, this is really painful and this is really personal. But then actually I turned it into a routine and I had to do it in public. And so part of the course was that we had to do it in public. And that's when I did my first gig in Brixton and I realised, oh, I really like the laughter. But I still didn't think I'd be a comedian though. And so you just kept on doing gigs then? Yeah, I wasn't getting paid and I was still teaching. And then eventually I had to leave teaching because people found out what I was doing. What about your parents? Did they didn't know. Right. And I thought, the thing is, there's no point telling my parents because my parents only want to know when I'm successful. They don't want to know about the struggle. They just want to know when I'm doing well and I'm earning money. But quite early on, you went on telly. You went on Have I Got News For You? Yeah, they didn't know that I was going to be on there. Did they know you were doing comedy at all by that no, point? No, no. So what? They thought I was a teacher. Well, I was a teacher. Yeah. I, mean, I, was, I said, there's no point telling them. Did they see you on it? Yeah, I told them I was going to be on there. And they thought it was a game show and that it was a one-off. They asked me, oh, did I win any money and stuff like that. They thought it was like, play your cards right or something. <laughs> you know, it was just a game show on a Friday night. So they didn't, even then, after I'd been on there, they didn't realise that I was doing this. And what about their friends and stuff? Did no one yeah, say, oh, yeah, I saw yeah. her on? Everybody, all their friends, was, people would stop my mother in the street and say, I saw your daughter on TV. I, I read about your daughter in the paper. And my mum would go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That is just a hobby. That is, what she does, it's just a hobby. She's actually a biochemist. 
And she would always bring up this biochemistry. I was thinking that I really hate this. I don't want to be associated with biochemistry. It's so boring. But I guess for her, it's so smart. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so at what point did you give up the teaching? And at what point did you tell them? That you well, I sort of, I carried on teaching, carried on teaching. Then I even, I left teaching and did supply teaching. And then the kids started recognising me and they'd make my life a misery. And because I would deny it was me. They'd go, oh, miss, I saw you on TV. I saw you. You look like that lady on the TV. And I'd go, no, it's not me. Yes, it is her. Miss her. And they would all for the lesson, they would just go, it is her. Why is she lying? Why is she lying? And then they'd go, yeah, I saw her. I saw her reading the news. Like, so then it went from me being like, oh, yeah, we saw her doing comedy. Oh, yeah, she's that newsreader. So then I got that for like six months. Oh, it's that newsreader off the telly. It was just, so then they couldn't place me. So then I was like every brown woman on telly. But when you went on Have I Got News For You, you were wearing the hijab. Yeah, I didn't wear it in real life. Okay. When I started, I also, I did a character for six months where I wore the hijab as part of it and that was part of the character. But then that character never really went anywhere, so I gave up wearing it. You were practising. No, I'm not practising. Oh, are you not? No, my jokes certainly aren't. Oh. <laughs> but did you, when you wore it, because mm. you got a lot of press when you started. I mean, it was kind of around the time you started. It was when 9-11 um, happened. Yeah. yeah. You'd started doing it before that. Yeah. Then, right? I and didn't do it because of 9-11. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This is a good opportunity to yeah. start stand-up comedy. <laughs> but you were doing it at the time and there was a lot of heat around you, mm. uh, I guess, because of it. Because I suppose, you know, before 9-11, Muslims or people talking mm. about that kind of stuff weren't particularly... The weird thing as, was, I hadn't actually began to talk about being Muslim at that point. Oh, would you not? I was still talking about my moustache. I was talking about my moustache and my beard and my facial hair problems, the things that I really hated. Because I'd just started. I was still doing what I'd learnt on the course. So my stuff was really like about... Um, my facial hair problems and how much I hated teaching. I had a whole routine about how I hated teaching and I'd make up equations for the kids which weren't actually true. Stuff like that. It wasn't actually... But because my parents are Pakistani and they are Muslim, that they associated with me. They'd say, oh, this Muslim woman's doing stand-up. But actually, at that point, I had not started talking about it. But then I did... I made a joke soon after 9-11. It was just a one-liner. And then that got a lot of publicity. That was when you came on that you said... My name's Shazia Mirza. At least that's what it says on my pilot's licence. And how did people react to that? People gasped and then they laughed. And then people, there was a lot of laughter. And so that joke got a lot of press, you know. But I, even at that point, I hadn't really started talking about my life at all. Not till about two years in. But still, people would be like Muslim comedians. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but they I love to label. I was called a Muslim, female, Asian, stand-up comedian from Birmingham. That's a lot of labels, isn't but it? But I guess, that, you know, it's, it, it is like a USP in that there aren't Muslim women... Comedians. But then I think people got disappointed because they'd come and see me and I wouldn't be talking about that at all. Right. I'd be talking about Primark and they'd be like, oh, how disappointing. But Primark was a large part of my life. <laughs> so well, I wasn't what people thought I was going to be. So at what point did you start talking about it? Well, I never really talked about... I could only relate to my own life growing up in Birmingham where I'm not religious and I talk about my parents being religious and I'd talk about like my family and how my parents are desperate to try and get me married off and all the men they set me up on. But even that is not really to do with religion. That's more to do with culture and stuff and my life, really. Right, but yeah. that's still not a culture that people necessarily yeah. know about. Yeah. Like, I have loads of Jewish friends who are Jewish comedians and they really talk about being Jewish. I mean, they really go into it and talk about their religion. But I think that there's a history of that. Like, there's been a history of Jewish comedians. 
you know, Joan Rivers and Woody Allen and all these people have already talked about it. And there's no danger there. Like, nobody's going to blow them up for talking about being Jewish. But I suppose I always worried about doing anything a bit, you know, talking about religion too deeply in case somebody gets really upset. But you still have done a bit. I'd still talk about the things that are truthful to me. Right. I thought you were practising. I'm sure that I read it oh, in like God, a no. few different places. That... I think also people wrote that because it sounded better to say that I was, oh, wow, look at this practising Muslim woman doing comedy as opposed to one that smokes and drinks. And yeah, because there was quite a few being Russian like, hookers, oh, you know. she... <laughs> <laughs> being like, oh, well, you know, and it's so hard when you're on tour because you're going on the road and <laughs> there's all these boozy lads and you're not drinking no. and not... Um, what about the fact that... Uh, it has sorry, it's really thrown me off balance because there were so many places that I read that you yeah. were practicing that I was like, okay, so yeah, there's all yeah. this, this whole line of questioning that yeah, now yeah. I just don't have. Yeah. Um, but what about the fact that people were writing that you were practicing, or the fact that even you were talking about it this really stuff that people me. don't uh, did it? Yeah, because then people would come up to me and they'd go, "How can you be practicing and then be performing somewhere where there's alcohol?" I had some woman come up to me and say, "How can you wear that much makeup? I don't even wear that much makeup." She go, "How can you wear that much makeup and be practicing?" And then I'd have stuff like you know how could you wear those tight trousers I was like I wear hot pants in the summer <laughs> um, so as well as that you've done other things you've done writing you did yeah. a column for ages for the New Statesman which you won a best columnist a PPA yeah. award for and now you're doing this one in the Guardian which is about relationships ironically right <laughs> And how are your parents with that? Well, um, I have to talk about relationships every week. And I thought it was going to be really hard. But actually, I have a lot to say because I'm from a really big family. Um, I've got, you know, there's five of us. None of us are married. Um, and I've got my parents. And I talk about loads of like relationships with my friends and my gay friends and my family, my brothers and sisters. And so I always have a, a lot to talk about. And everybody sort of relates to relationships. Yeah, for Everybody sure. wants to know about other people's relationships. Everyone's so nosy. But, I mean, you, if you write about your parents, do they freak out about that? They... No, because they know it's the truth. Right. The thing is, they know it's the truth. They they said to me, why do you write this stuff about us? And I said, it's the truth. They said, yes, we know, but we just don't want everybody else knowing. So they don't mind me telling the truth, just as long as two million people are not reading it. Right. But are they kind of, is that the thing that if at first they weren't so happy with the doing the comedian stuff because they'd rather you were a biochemist? But is there like a certain level of success? Yeah, because now they start telling everybody I'm yeah. a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> if they can't bring themselves to say, see, in our house, nobody mentions that I'm a comedian. In our house, this is the C word. So she says everything. Oh, yeah, she's a writer. She's a journalist. She does TV. Never mentions that I am actually a comedian. <laughs> Which is actually what I am. All the rest is just things that happen off the comedy, right? But she can't bring herself to say it. Right. But I suppose it's still technically true. Technically. <laughs> that you are whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, the TV things. You did this show that I really want to ask you about for BBC Three mm. called Fuck Off, I'm a Hairy Woman. Yeah. You were talking about being hairy earlier. And I'm not show? hairy anymore. Sorry, I meant in your past. <laughs> what was just it? in case there's any men listening, <laughs> I am not hairy anymore. <laughs> but so for the show, you had to become... Hairy. Yeah, I grew my body hair for seven months. Wow. All of it, like everything, anywhere, face, body, anything. I just had to grow it. How was it? Well, actually, I thought it was going to be really difficult because I don't like hair. And, you know, if I go swimming a lot and I, I don't like to go into a pool looking like a bloke. And um, it was hard at first, but then actually I grew to love my hair. Did you? Yeah. How did people react to you? Well, the thing is, I used to bleach my moustache 
I used to also wax it and laser it. I've had it lasered now, but um, when I was growing it, I had to, sometimes when I'd get in a lift and I could see everybody in the lift looking at my moustache. And I would just think, I know that they're looking at my moustache. And the thing is, because I'd bleached it, I look like Father Christmas. Because I've got brown skin and I'd bleach it and I'd be standing in a lift under the lights and um, everybody would just be staring at it thinking, why don't you just get rid of your moustache? And then I'd think, oh, well, I know I'm only doing it for the programme. But people... People really stare at women who've got facial hair. Not just men, women look at other women. I think, God, love, why don't you just get that waxed? Well, there's one bit in the programme where you meet a woman who's got a beard. Mm. And I watched that and I was, you know, as a woman, it's an issue. That kind of stuff is an issue that you have to deal with. And I would like to think that I'm super open-minded. But I watched it and I was like, ooh, that's it was. I I don't know if you saw my face. I was like, "Uh, why have you you grown your beard? Why why have you got a beard? I mean, it was, it's like a full-on little kind of... real beard. Like a real bloke with a beard. I just found it really difficult to see that because I just think you don't have to look like that. But was it growing all the hair? Was it liberating? Uh, It was liberating. I think, you know, it is. Because sometimes you go on a beach and you see women, European women, like German women, Italian women, and they have got hairy legs and hairy things and they're very comfortable with it. I think it's a British thing. Do you? Yeah, to have everything waxed and just shaved and just look perfect I think it's quite a British thing yeah the other TV thing that you did was an American one you did the show Last Comic Standing which is it's like X Factor for comedians it is a reality TV show so you go on you do your stuff in front of the judges for a couple of minutes then you go around to the next round and then you do the same in front of a live audience and then you go around again and then I got to the semi-finals in Vegas so I got to perform in Vegas which was really great fun and the judges were this guy from the Sopranos, who I love, the big fat guy, the Italian guy. James Gandolfini. Yeah, he was one of the judges. And what was the show? I know that a lot of other professional comedians have done it. Jeannie Yashere, we've had on the podcast, and Matt Kirshen and Sean Cullen. And And Fern Cotton presented it. Yeah. And so the bits where you were filmed, was it just the bits where you were doing stand-up or was it reality? Like, did they follow you around? Well, it was mainly, you know, the stand-up, but they did film me rollerblading on Miami Beach in a burqa. (laughs) Did they? Yeah. Which was quite fun, actually. I'd never been to Miami Beach. It was really weird. There was all these amazing women with silicon breasts and G-strings. And I was like rollerblading past them in a burqa. And actually, it was so funny because some people thought I was, a, I was a bloke in drag. Did they? Yeah. And then I was just doing that for a laugh. And how do you find America? You were saying that you've been out there. I go there a lot. Yeah. I'm going to LA for a month in May. I gig there a lot. What will you be doing for that month? I'm doing preparing my set for Leno, for Jay Leno. Are you doing Jay Leno? Yeah. <gasps> I did a, I'm going to Chicago this weekend. I'm doing a show in Chicago and then I'm going to LA in May. That's amazing that yeah. you're doing Jay Leno. That's so exciting. Yeah. But I have to prepare five minutes. Right. And so I'm going for a month to work out my set every night. So you're just going to go and do show, 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 show. Man, how are you feeling about it? I don't know. I don't know. My manager has taken me to see the show being recorded with other comedians on there. And it does look really uh, nerve wracking. In what way? There's a live audience and uh, they love Jay and uh, he's really gag, 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 really fast. And then you come on and you've only got a certain amount of time and you've just got to make them laugh straight away, continuously, right to the end of the five minutes. There's no gaps. You've just got to be hilarious all the way through. 
and you want to get it right. It's like a big thing in America. For sure. And is yeah. that something, is your going over there a lot, a kind of conscious effort to, I hate using the term, but break America? Like, no, you... I mean, I've been performing in America for about five years now. Right. Shows and, and I did a week at Caroline's in December. Sorry, what's Caroline's? Caroline's on Broadway is a famous comedy club in New York. And the people from Jay Leno, I did a, a showcase there and they come to see me there. And, you know, it's a whole process then of, then they give you advice on your set and they? they tell you, you know, what they think will work in America and what they think won't. Even though it worked in front of the audience that night, they'll still give you advice. And they'll still say, you know, we need more jokes in the five minutes. We need you to make it tighter. And you have to just sort of go along with it because they know best. How do you find American audiences compared to Brit I think ones? they're great. They love to hear about you and your life and what do you think of America and, you know, what's it like being you in America and they love to hear about your family and relationships and all that. Did you get any of the um, the mild controversy that you got, like after 9-11 making yeah. those gags? Did you go over yeah. to America and make yeah, those Yeah, I went to New York after that. Were they more or less sensitive? They were very sensitive because, so, you know, there would, people, oh. there would be people in the audience who knew people who died in, in that. But, you know, they've really got a good sense of humour because... It never went badly, you know. Whenever I did that joke or I did material about that, people always laughed. I mean, obviously, it was upsetting for some people, but they were generally really got a good sense of humour. Yeah, I think people in England get more offended at stuff. It's really? so fashionable to be offended. It there. is at the moment. Everybody's offended. <laughs> I don't think they even know why they're offended. Maybe it's just something to do. It's something to do. I think so. I think people are really bored. Well, you're going, after you do this month in May, you're going to Edinburgh. I am, yeah. That's coming up and you're going to be doing a bunch of dates and some previews and stuff. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. In, like, London and various other bits in of the June, country. In June, yeah. And all of those dates will be up on your website. Yeah. Which is? Shazia-Mirza.com. Because, believe it or not, somebody has stolen Shazia Mirza. Who? Somebody in California who's not even using it. Oh, okay. So Shazia, and that's spelled S-H-A-Z-I-A-M-I-R-Z-A. Yeah. Com. Yeah. Shazie, thanks so much. Oh, thanks. Me. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you like that, you'll probably love the book that I put together with Deborah Francis White called Off the Mic, The World's Best Stand-Up Comedians Get Serious About Comedy. So asking them things like, what's your writing process? How do you find your voice? What do you think about touring? How do you deal with hecklers? We interviewed 42 stand-ups, including Eddie Izzard, Sarah Millican, Phil Jupiter, Stuart Lee, Mark Maron. It's out now on Bloomsbury Publishing. If you want to find out more, go to Yes Yes marsha.com forward slash off the mic.